tabletop is here. <laughs> this is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hello and welcome to... Hello? (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Hello there. And you're listening to Tabletop Genesis. This is Mike Lord. This is Simon. <laughs> this is Stacy. And I'm sorry, Mike, you're going through some changes. I know. Right now. It's my second puberty. <laughs> and this is Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and you're here to listen to our interview with Richard McPhail. Yay. Yay! Now, those of you who maybe aren't up on your Genesis history, which you need to study up on. Richard worked for the band back in the day. He attended Charter House with them and was singer in a band with Aunt Phillips and Mike Rutherford called the Anon, or just Anon. I may not have the the there. But they, um, Richard ended up not going into the performing aspect of music, but he did work for the band, basically being their road manager, their, you know, counselor there whatever they needed Richard kind of kind of fell into this to the point that he was credited on albums because of the work that he did which was a great kind of piece of respect shown to him by the band and so he has a Twitter account and so I reached out to him on Twitter actually and said hey I'm going to be in England would you want to sit down for an interview about your book my book of Genesis that he just came out with about his time working for the band and working for Peter Gabriel during the 70s and working with some other bands. And he actually said when I told him the dates, he said, oh, I'm going to be in in the U.S. at that time for pretty much the whole month of June. And I said, well, maybe we can work this out. And so we had some tentative plans. And then I saw the security project with Jerry Murata in early May, I believe it was. And Jerry actually said, oh, my friend Richard is coming over for uh, June. You should interview him because of his new book and everything. I said, funny you should mention this because we've already been in contact with him about this. And Jerry said, well, come up to my house. He's going to stay over for a night or two. You can do the interview there. So this interview was conducted at Jerry Murata's home. So thank you, Jerry, for giving your space for this. And uh, he's a good guy. And when I got when I showed up, Jerry said, Tabletop is here. And I wish I had a recording of that. But, uh, you know, we could have used that at the start of every episode now. But he is a fun person. That's all right. Tom's very good at impressions. Yes. So. Tabletop is here. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's not English, though. That's, uh, oh. he's, that's right. But we'll still use that anyway. <laughs> so without further ado, we'll jump into the interview with Richard McPhail. Richard McPhail. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing extremely well, thank you. Well, thank you for coming to Tabletop Genesis. Well, thank um, you for inviting me. Yes, and so that everybody knows where what's going on, we're actually at Jerry Murata's house, uh, who is Jerry and yes. Richard are friends, while Richard is over here doing family stuff in the U.S., I think is the... Yeah, officially, as far as the tax man is concerned, this is a book tour. It's a book tour. Well, it's good because we <laughs> yeah. have audio recorded evidence of this. Exactly, so. exactly. Um, so we're here to talk about your book, The Book of Genesis. Yes. So, um, and I thought, I read this, obviously, and I thought it was a really great perspective on the band's early years from someone who was obviously there yep. and was very close friends with everybody, but was on not on the, I don't want to say not on the musical side because you were there for a lot of these things, but, yep. you, but you were there on the business, roadie, touring end of Basically things. everything that wasn't right. writing or, and performing yeah. music. So, so can you talk a little bit about how you met the guys at Charterhouse? Well, 
it's it, Mike Rutherford came up with a good phrase because I he and I I interviewed all the members of the band for the book right and we were talking about this because you tended you know we, we all had houses that we lived in right so you knew everyone in your house mm-hmm. so that was a vertical line from 13 aged to 18 okay so you knew all those people and then there was a flat line that were all the people of your age whose classes you were in and we were all in of the same age. We were all born in 1950. Right. Except Phil, who was born in 51. Sure. And it, it, for the record, it goes Steve, and then a couple of days later, Peter, then Tony, then me, then Mike. Okay. Um, and Aunt Phillips actually was a, a tiny bit younger too. But anyway, mm-hmm. so I got... What happened is that... Um, I got an older sister, and when she was 15, probably, mm-hmm. she had a boyfriend who was 18. Okay. And he took her to see the Stones. Okay. And because we lived in, in near a town called Guildford in Surrey, mm-hmm. and only up the road was Richmond and Twickenham mm-hmm. and Kingston, and that was all the early Stones stamping ground. Okay. And... Um, Prior to that, musically, I just was an absolute sponge. My parents loved musicals, mm. and they would come home with the record from My Fair Lady right. or Salad Days or South Pacific, and I, and I just soaked it all up. I wasn't. My, both my parents really liked classical music, okay. which, which I, I uh, learned to love later, but uh, mm. wasn't a big fan of. And then one day, I mean, it must have been whatever it is, 1962 or something, my, when, when I was 12, my, my sister brought home the Stones' first single. Okay. And it was called Come On, with Bill Wyman playing his homemade bass. <laughs> sure. You know, and it had a B-side called Little by Little, which is a trad R&B song, you know, that, uh, which is the stuff that turned, that turned them on. And... Um, I played that song and just, again, just absorbed it. But, you know, hearing the Stones changed my life, you know. Everything just took a huge lurch to the left, as it were. And and so I went to Charterhouse when I was 13. And as Mike said, you know, there was a kind of underground of people who were into music. And we sort of found each other because we weren't in the same house except actually Aunt Peter and Tony were in the same house. Okay. And Chris Stewart, actually. Okay. So, in fact, four of the original members of Band Genesis were in the same house. But I met Ant, and, um, and he already had a band from his prep school. And it's important, Anthony Phillips, you know, his name has sort of been lost in the mists of time a little bit, but he, yeah, the, the, the true fans know who he is and sure. they love his music and everything. But he was an absolute giant in terms of music, in terms of composition and, and just playing. You know, he, he could play anything. And we, we used to go down to the record shop in, in Godalming and get them to, you know, they had booths and they right. would get them to put a, a record on that we wanted to cover <laughs> and persuade the guy just to play it again. And he only needed to hear it twice and he just, and he, he could get it. And so right. we'd go back and rehearse. And it, it, I was always astonished by how talented he was. And so Mike and Rivers Job and Rob Tyrrell and I, we formed a band very much based around the Stones. Right. And we were called, I, th- I thought it was terribly clever. I came up with the name Anon, <laughs> like a poet, poem, you know, that yes. you don't know who, who wrote it like that. And um, it wasn't clever at all. It, was, it, it didn't work <laughs> because nobody could cope with the fact that there wasn't an article. They had to call us The Anon. Right. So it was a dismal failure as a, as a name. <laughs> right. But the band was good, you know, right. because Anton, you know. And, you know, Mike talks about, he says, I, you know, I could play a guitar, but I knew about three chords. He said, I learned, I learned everything I know from Ant. Right. You know, and and they did a lot. They went on to do a lot of wonderful stuff together. Sure, you know all the jangly, the twelve strings and the unusual tunings, and you know what yeah. turned into the musical box stagnation. You know all yeah. all that stuff. You know was very much Ant and Mike's great sort of uh, inspiration. So 
We did a show at the end of the summer term of 1966, and unbeknownst to me and Rivers, it turned out that neither of us were going to be returning the school because we we had these things sort of halfway through secondary school called O levels. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not called that anymore. But Rivers and I failed all our O levels, okay. and parents decided to, you know, double down and send us elsewhere to to try and sort of catch up, and so. You know, two fifths of the band were gone. Right. So Mike and Ant carried on, and they asked Tony Banks to come and join them. And Tony, at this point, was only a piano player. Sure. And he said, "Well, can I bring my friend Peter? Because he's he's quite a good singer." Mm-hmm. So that's that's how Genesis got started. Yeah. Kids at school, so you know it's yeah school just, band. Yeah. And um and. Uh, they were initially called the Garden Wall. Right, okay. And they played in this concert. So sure. Anne played in both bands. Right. And Tony was playing the grand piano, which was down on the floor. Right. We couldn't get the piano on the stage. And, and uh, as he says, it was only when I played the intro to When a Man Loves a Woman, because Peter was a big soul guy. Yeah, sure. You know, Nina Simone, um, Otis Redding. Yeah. Those are his... And, uh, and did everyone sort of lean forward and realise that there was a guy playing <laughs> oh, yes, down on the floor? <laughs> and Tony was only a piano player right. then. You know, he, it, it was much later that he became an organist and then all the other things. But he had this knack of sort of mastering everything to a, a, an incredible degree. So I left the school, but I kept in touch with them because Ant was my best friend. Right, you know, sure. And, 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 and I followed. So I then had this whole other life at this other school, and then, and then that wasn't a great success. And, and my desperate parents sent me to Israel to okay. work on a kibbutz. I'm not Jewish, but and, and everybody thinks when I say this that, oh, that you must be Jewish. I'm not. My sister had a friend who very successfully had a time okay. on a kibbutz in Israel. So 1968. I was there from April to September. Okay. Working on a kibbutz in the south of Israel, which now um, is constantly bombarded by uh, Katushka rockets from sure. Gaza because they're okay. right. Gaza's just down the road. Now, we used to go to Gaza mm-hmm. to buy Lebanese gold okay. um, hashish. <laughs> Okay. And so we, 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 that's where I learned to enjoy smoking dope. <laughs> and I came back to England and then did mm. some other stuff. And uh, in the summer of 69, I went down to Ant's house where the band were rehearsing. Right. And I was rather shocked at how good they were. Because at this point, they were just my school friends. You right. Know? And then I suddenly thought, actually... This is this is quite good. And so this is when John Mayhew was with John them on drums at this point. Okay. Already the third drummer. I mean, yes, exactly. Where did Spinal Tap get the idea yeah. of all, having all these drummers? I, you know. Right. So my parents had a cottage. Okay. Deep in the woods, and but only an hour from London, mm-hmm. and it had been burgled that summer, and not unreasonably, being quite remote. My mother wasn't didn't want to go back there but my parents decided that they were going to sell it but they'd wait till the spring because mm-hmm. they thought it would sell better with all the trees out and everything this by this point it's it's like september you know the autumn is coming and uh i somehow persuaded them to lend us the cottage sure. for the winter till it went on sale and it, it was a huge turning point because peter was scheduled to go to the london film school he was going to be a film director right I dread to think, you know, when you think of some of the costumes he designed, he yes. came up with for the lamb, what his films would have been like. Yeah. One of these great um, inspirations as a filmmaker was a, a guy called um, Jodorowsky. Yes, and yes. Not well known, but he, yes. he made, I mean, they really were like westerns on acid. Right. You know, crazy stuff. Yes. And he, he dragged me off t- and Jill to see a film called, much later, called El Topo. And and that's what inspired Peter. Right. So, you know, it may or may not be a good thing that the world hasn't <laughs> had to deal with Peter Gabriel's making yeah. movies. You see some of those, th- that thread of filmmaking in miniature, I guess, in some of his videos later on. Oh, of, quite. You know, the, oh, the imagination always, of those. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was kind of instrumental, actually, in him leaving the band. But that's another yeah, story. Because sure. uh, Anyway, so... Uh, um, I, I said, listen, guys, we, you know, let's do this. And 
Mike Rutherford said, it's when we became a band. Yeah. Because, you know, they just had time. Right. They had time, just about enough food to live on. Yeah. And I was the chief cook, bottle washer. Right. Um, I got my driver's license. I didn't, I was a roadie without a driver's license. Yeah. And I got my driver's license. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 on the first outing, crashed the van. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> Anyway. Usually, usually it doesn't help you keep your job if that happens. I know. But it probably I should have been fired many times <laughs> over. Anyway, uh, we we stumbled along, and they had a lot. They were very hardworking, right? And as Ant said, you know, we we never went down the pub. You know, there was a pub at the end of the road. We, <laughs> apart from anything else, we had no money. You yeah, know, we, we were we were all absolutely just skin. There'd be odd weekends off, and everyone would go home to their parents, and a lot of them would come back with great boxfuls of Red Cross parcels yeah. of food that you know Ant's mother would raid her freezer <laughs> and send me sweetbreads. Which I think are calves' testicles or yeah, something. Yeah, it's the you innards. Know? It's the stuff that doesn't get what used anywhere else. What the hell are you supposed to do with those? <laughs> you know, that was that was interesting. Anyway, we survived. Yeah. And long story short, we got a uh, we got a, a contract with Charisma Records. So we, that was when I guess a lot of the material on Trespass was generated. The whole of Trespass was was so. written. Or and or completed at the cottage. Right. It's very much the output from yeah. the cottage. And in the spring of 1970, uh, Strat, Gail Carlson, John Anthony mm-hmm. came to see us and and liked what they saw and signed us up. Yeah. Would you at back in those days? Would you be kind of a a sounding board of oh that sounds good I'm not sure about that bit you know would would you give that type mm. of feedback or was that not mostly kind of... just the first thing? Okay. Yeah, now that makes sense. If so. I started suggesting, you know, there was enough of that between themselves. Okay, <laughs> that bit yes. wasn't so good. Uh, uh-uh. that's probably a good way to stay safely neutral yeah. and encourage th- what's good, but think, just let other I things go. I think that go. was important. Yes. I think that was important. So, uh, so that's how um, to answer in a very long-winded no, way. No, that's good. The, the question you asked me is 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 how I got involved. Right. And so from there, your role evolved into this... Well, much formal... end-all... Road manager. Yeah. And the thing is also, is that the deal with Charisma involved Tony Stratton-Smith being our manager as well. Okay. Now, I always thought that was a bit not sure about, because traditionally... And as they went on, you know, they got Tony Smith. Yes. You have a manager yeah. who is, and he's the one who goes in to fight the band's corner with with the record company. Right. And you've got this triangular arrangement. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it was all in Charisma's lap. Yeah. So, so in a way, you know, I fulfilled that role. Right. And and that's when I started working with Gail Coulson because sure. she was um, Strat's PA. And I first met her in the spring of 1970. And we've been very good friends ever since. And she's been terribly helpful right. uh, and in, inspiring with, with, with the book. Sure. Um, coming up with all... Every time I get stuck with anything, I ring Gail <laughs> and say, well, what do I do now? You know, and she said, oh, you need to speak to... to right. So, so, well, it's know. good to know people who know that Well, that's that the thing. World, is you've so. got, you, it's, it's a resource, isn't it? Yes. So, um, yeah, she's, she's been wonderful. Yeah. But... On the other side, you know, mm. if that was a potentially a, dis- a, a disadvantage with Strat, the the other band, one of the other bands in the mm. stable, were were called Lindisfarne. Sure. And at the time, they were having hit singles left, right, and centre, number mm-hmm. one albums. They were really doing well. Right. And 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 you know, to, just to put it bluntly, they were the charisma cash cow right. because all the money that Strat earned from Lindisfarne, he just ploughed back into Genesis. Yeah. And so, you know, after a few years, we we were we were heavily in debt to, <laughs> to Charisma. Yeah. But you know, you that wouldn't happen nowadays. Right. There's no way that you'd get that kind of support because right. Trespass came out and you know it, it didn't set the world alight. Sure. You know, then nursery crime and. And then Foxtrot, and each time was a little better, right. you know. And the, the it wasn't until selling England when where there was um, I know what I like, yeah. And there was a hit single that was their first top twenty yeah. single. So you know it was a real slow build, yeah. And 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 it was supported by Strat was just un unwavering. He 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 loved the band and he knew 
that, like I do, that they, they were going to be big. Right. Well, that was something when I talked with Tony Banks back in London, he had said when I had a copy of From Genesis to Revelation, he said, thank God we didn't become famous then. Yes. Well, because it, he, we, we would have destroyed never them. have done anything. I've always so. said that. Yeah. I've always said that. And thank God also that they signed this insanely appalling contract with Jonathan King right. and they were all under 18. Right. So... Ant's dad just got a solicitor, and, and it was it was annulled. Right, and and that was that. So, can you talk about back in those days and through through your time, kind of the personalities of the band and what they each kind of brought to well, the table? As I say, I feel it's very important for the record to 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 emphasise how in, in, enormously important Ant was. Yes. Um, and 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 he really was the main man. I didn't. I don't mean he did all the writing, but there was something about his his spirit and his confidence, mm-hmm. and and you know he he sort of knew no boundaries, mm-hmm. and it, the others he he you know he kind of dragged them along in his wake. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, sure. I mean, I'm talking about Trespass because sure, obviously yes. the the point comes not long after that in the story that that he left. But um, Peter and Tony shared a room, and Peter and Tony just have one of those relationships which is like many, it's, it's complex. Yes, you know? <laughs> they love each other as much as they hate each other, right. and, and you know, they, they, there was this tremendous tension which ultimately served the rest of us because yeah i think stuff things were better but what was unusual about genesis is that apart from john mayhew obviously until phil joined you know it's it's very unusual to have a band where everyone is a writer yes and you just look later with all the careers they've had yes you know and and it it, it it's amazing really that uh because usually you've got one guy that writes the songs and another guy that writes the lyrics and right. the rest just do what they're told. Yeah, do what they're told, exactly. <laughs> and, so. and they're happy to trail along and right. rake in the millions that yes. go with it. But, you know, it, Genesis were not like that. So there was a lot of fighting and, and, yeah. and, and a lot of sort of buttoned-up English public school stuff. It's obviously, you know, everyone's heard this. It's one of the things sure. that Phil found so funny. Because yeah. <laughs> he just, he's just not like that, you know. Yeah. And, and people would suddenly, you know, storm out of the room and, and Phil would go, what what happened? You know, something from from three years previously triggered somebody about these things. Exactly. So So it was a crucible. Yeah. And, and it was a, it was, it was a pressure cooker. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say one other thing is that Peter already had a girlfriend who he married Mm. quite Mm. soon after. That's Jill. Yeah. And Jill was at um, drama school in London Mm -hmm. and an incredibly attractive young woman right and naturally you know the 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 moths were attracted to the flame yes and and there we were stuck down in the country and peter was really frightened that he was going to lose her yeah and uh, so that that was a source of tension and like i say it was winter we never went out <laughs> except to play gigs right and it was up 35 steps which were covered with wet leaves right and it you know we everything had to be all the gear had to be humped yeah. down in the van and then off to the gig and then back up again. And musical equipment is not known for being light and portable, especially well, back in the day. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm very glad that we didn't have the Mellotron at the cottage yeah. because that, that was a monster. Right. You know, there's a whole chapter in my book yes. about the Mellotron. Exactly. And this, yes. The fun we had yes. trying to get it in and out of gigs and all the rest yes. of it. But then we get to the transition of Ant leaving and... Yeah. and, and so then... in the summer of 70, right. Ant announced that he was leaving. Now, I knew he was struggling. He, he just developed the most dreadful stage fright. Right. And it wouldn't matter if we were only playing to 15 people, you know, which mostly we were. Right. And he, he, and he, he talks about having an out-of-body experience yeah. at, 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 at one particular gig. And, you know, it, it caused him to get what we call glandular fever, I think, right. mono is what Okay, you're... sure, yes. Yeah? Okay. yeah? And so he was he was really unwell. Yeah. And he just thought, I can't go on, I'm just going to let everybody down. Yeah. So Trespass was recorded. Yeah. And it was that sort of summertime when the album was in the band, when we were doing some gigs, and he told Peter that he was going to leave. Right. So we had a, we were playing at the Marquis, 
And after the set, Ant just, which is a club in Soho. In yes, Central okay, London. yep. And it, everybody played at the Marquee in right. those days. We were op- opening for someone else, and yeah. I don't remember who. Um, they'd probably gone by the wayside by now. Hmm. But so all the gear was on stage, yeah. and the, the van was empty. Ant just took the, took the tube home, you know, and, mm. and we had a sort of war cabinet, Peter, Tony, Mike, and I. And, you know, Peter said, Ant's leaving. It was a big shock. And then I suddenly realised that they were all seriously considering giving up. Right. You know, and that just underlines my point about how important Ant was yeah. back then. And I just sort of listened to this going around the, in the van, and I, and, I, and, so, and when it came to me, I just said, no bloody way, this right. is nuts. There's, we've got charisma, we've got trespasses coming out, you know, it's just too good. We, right. can, we can replace Ant. Yeah. And at that point, Tony said, okay, but if we're going to do that, we should get a better drummer. Sure. Because John Mayhew was fine. Yeah. But he's just not the drummer that Genesis needed. Right. You know. I mean, it's always talked about that he had kind of had to be told what to do. And Tony was fed up with doing that. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, and then that is, was the stroke of genius. Right. And it turned out to be much easier to get an, another drummer. Yeah. Phil was already, you know, he'd been in another band, Flaming Youth, and had a lot of money lavished upon them, but it had gone nowhere. Right. From our point of view, thank goodness. Yes. And he was actually earning a living as a drummer. Right, you know? yeah. And, uh, if, you know, Phil is, he's an unbelievably hard worker. Yes. And hustler. Yes. And, you know, he just was that from the get-go. Yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, we advertised in the back of the Melody Maker, as yeah. always. And, mm-hmm. and he came and interviewed and auditioned. Typical Phil, he got there. We did, we did the auditions at uh, uh, Peter's house uh, outside London. And... He got there at first thing. I mean, yeah. I think his, his thing was at 11 and he got there at 9. There were two people before him. Sure. It was a hot day. All the windows were open. And so he went and sat by the swimming pool. Right. Um, he, <laughs> he swam in the pool with Peter's sister, Anne. And, and I was talking about this and, and Anne said to me, and, and does he remember the beautiful young girl in the bikini? You know, I said, funnily enough, I don't think he, he did. Anyway, exactly. Phil being Phil, he heard the yes. other two auditions. And of right. course, he just knew what to play. I mean, the minute right. he sat down, set up his kit, bloody left-handed. So annoying. Because <laughs> we could never, you know, I always love to have a bit of a bash behind the traps. But, sure. but much to everybody's um, great relief, <laughs> nobody could play his drums because they were all the wrong way around. Anyway... Right. And he just, you know, I mean, there was no question. Yeah. So it was unbelievable. And, and it took us a lot longer to get Steve. Yeah. I've read that Roger Taylor was considered at one point, or was well, that? Well, he like was. A, a, Whether, maybe, maybe as a name, but not, I don't, I don't know if he ever auditioned. A, yeah, he, he, he wasn't there that day sure, auditioning. Okay. And, and we only ever played one gig with Queen. Okay. And in fact, I don't know who... Brian May is a big Genesis fan. Okay, yeah. And I, we, we played at a place called Yule Tech. Mm-hmm. It was near Epsom, okay. south, southwest London. And there, were, there was, um, top of the bill mm-hmm. was Keith Hartley, who was a drummer that had been with John Mayle. And oh. he left John Mayle and started a band. Okay. It's so funny when you look at the bills for yeah. these things. And I was these, say, I, top I, of the bill. Yeah. And the bands that you've just disappeared yeah. completely. I have, I have no knowledge of that person. No, so, yeah, no, that's... no, no. And, and Genesis and Queen. I mean, no, sorry, Queen and Genesis. Right. And we went on first. And then I was packing up the gear. Yeah. And there was Queen. Now... Freddie was not the Freddie we all came sure. to know and love. He, he was sat behind an electric keyboard and just yeah, played. Okay. And, and on the 8th of July, 2011, okay. Twickenham, no, 2007, sure, sorry, okay. um, the, the, the not-so-good gig of the two that I went to on that tour, Brian May was backstage. Right, and, okay. and, and I said to him, do you remember Yule Tech? Mm-hmm. And he said, he, said, he said, yes, you know, I think that was the night that we met John, our bass player. Okay. And it was the first time he played with them. Okay. But there was also a story later going around yeah. that they tried to nick Phil. 
Okay, I hadn't heard that, so no. that's interesting. Now, whether that's apocryphal or sure, not. Sure, yeah. But Yes definitely did have a go at yes, King Phil. Yes, I've read that. Um, so. uh, but Phil respected Bill too much, Bill right. Bruford. Sure. To, but, and so probably turns out that we were unbelievably lucky that we kept <laughs> Phil as long as we did. It's always the... Because yeah. you didn't... Have, it wasn't, it's no-brainer. You, know, you had to hear him play and realise, Jesus, he's amazing. Because right. by now I was mixing the sound. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know... I mean, I'm not saying I didn't pay attention to the whole thing, but right. I would just listen to Phil. Sure. Because he always did something different. Yes. And it was just always interesting. Yeah. By this point, we had no idea that he was going to blossom into the songwriter and all right. the rest of it. Of course. Well, you know, what can I say? Global superstar. Yeah. A member of a club which has three members, which are people that have sold 100 million albums as part of a band mm-hmm. and 100 million albums on their own. And the other two are McCartney and Michael Jackson. Yes. Yeah, it's good company to be in. With I think that. it's quite so, a club, yeah, isn't it? It is. Uh, anyway. And honestly, it's probably not going to get any bigger than that no. at this point, the way the records are and everything. No, exactly. So. Well, the way the business is. I yeah. Know, I know, I know. That's it. Yeah. It's set in stone, that one. Right. So so you're working with the band. You're doing mainly the road managing at this yes. point and kind yeah. of, yeah, you yeah. know, being... I mean, this. just, you know, there was a man called Fred Munt. Uh, who was the general manager at Charisma. Okay. Who actually married Gail Colson. Okay. And he'd been the, the roadie for the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. <laughs> okay, sure. Viv Stanchel. Yes, yeah. Absolute madman. And <laughs> um, Fred taught me everything I knew, you know, I mean, he, he, he just t- t- taught me how to be a roadie. He was right. fantastic. He's my mentor. Yeah. And uh, no longer with us, uh, uh, Gail mm. told me the other day. And okay. So, uh, and there was a... A sort of ongoing roster of friends that mm-hmm. would help out for yeah. a few months, and then you know, and we we had a, a Ford Transit, mm-hmm. and there was a spare seat in it. So generally, and and the band car mm-hmm. was something called a Hillman Imp, okay, which was small as the name sounds. <laughs> sure, it was really a squeeze for four people. Yeah, so. Peter, Tony, Mike, and Steve would go in the Hillman Inn, and Phil would come with us. Okay. And he'd often come to my flat in North London the, the night before and crash on the floor, okay. and we'd set off because he couldn't get to the gig early enough. Right. Phil being Phil, yes, and we loved it because he would set up his own kit. So, right. Because when on the times when he didn't, you know, obviously it was one less thing for us to do. Yeah. And he would set up and 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 start pl- playing, practicing, but also. Um, fairly unusually for the time I had a cassette player in okay. the van and he would make these amazing mixtapes okay. of the music he was into right. very much fired by drummers you know yeah. Billy Cobham uh, Bernard Purdy okay. all of these people and and he would he would make these tapes and write on them you know it's what we all we'd all get a C90 okay. and remember all this and, and you'd make your yeah. you'd record stuff from vinyl yeah. and he introduced right. me to a lot of amazing music that yeah. way and so that was that was really cool. You're probably one of the rare road managers who, like I saw in the Foxtrot credits, you're mentioned right along with the band yes. in there. So I mean, yes, it's, it's well, obvious that's really that they... why there's there's a there's a constituency for my book, right? Because definitely. they put me on those two album covers. Yes, I mean your picture is in there also. Yes, you have the top hat or something. I'll tell you a story about that. Okay. The two two of the we had at this point there were three roadies and the three roadies me. Guy, Paul, and Phil okay. went to see a concert for Bangladesh. Okay. The movie. George Harrison. Yeah, sure, sure. Yes. And Clapton played and Bob yeah, Dylan, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It was a, in one of those, it was a Madison Square Garden yeah. fundraiser for, for people starving in yeah. Bangladesh. And they had a band meeting that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember Phil saying, um, this was when they rec- recorded Fox Trot. Okay. Paul Whitehead had done the, the sleeve and they mm. were doing all the details. He said, um, he said, there's a bit of a surprise on the album cover. It never occurred to me what it was, the fact that they put my picture the same right. size as all the others yeah. and said the words that they said, sound friend, barefoot. <laughs> I used to go barefoot. I was a roadie without, right. without <laughs> shoes on. Yeah. Bonkers. The inevitable happened. I stood on a huge six-inch nail and oh. stuck in the stage in, in Dundee in Scotland. And I had to go to an emergency. Right. And then I thought, maybe I should wear shoes. Yeah, now. it might be a good idea in that yeah, line of work. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is unusual. I mean, yeah. The guy I wrote the book with, Chris mm-hmm. Charlesworth, 
you know, he's a writer. And I set out to do this. I thought, I'm not, I'm not a writer, <laughs> you know. And so Gail Colson yeah. fixed me up with Chris, who I vaguely knew mm-hmm. uh, from the Melody Maker days. And um, I spoke the book to him. Sure. I would go down to his house once a week, amazingly, two miles from the cottage. And ah, it was such okay. a weird full right. circle. Sure. And um, w- w- I would go once a week, mm-hmm. and I kind of on the back of an envelope had the next bit sort of vaguely yeah. planned out. And I just, yeah, just spewed talk it, it out. out. Sure. He recorded it, yeah. transcribed it, and then edited it chapter right. by chapter and yeah. and one time I was leaving his house and he said he said you're not really you're not really a typical roadie are you and it's because he said he he went on to be an editor for okay. a uh, omnibus books who yeah. published a lot right, of yeah, music sure. books and that, that was his job which he had just retired from so okay. it was the perfect time for him to, to yeah. do this with me and we got on really well. We had so many funny parallel stories. Yeah. You know, if you ever listen, if you ever listen to the ba- the raw tapes of how this all half sure. the time he's telling a story because I right. I told a story and he said, well, that reminds me of when uh, exactly, you know yeah. I was on the road with the Who and the, the Keith right. the, the, and all that. You know, so and he said, you know, he said uh, Omnibus, you know. Some bloke had roaded for Led Zeppelin. It wasn't any of the famous Richard Coles or whatever, <laughs> but he 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 wrote a book and, right. and he presented his manuscript and you know and <laughs> Chris politely turned it down and got a stream of invective from the guy, you know. <laughs> so he was much more of a typical roadie, you know. So yeah. I did have an unusual role. Yeah. But they were my vocation. Right. I, they were really good and I wanted the world to know they were good. Right. And so what kind of, again, it's kind of the, the famous picture of you on the back of Genesis Live, where yeah. you left in April 73. And yeah, I think how many times have you been mistakenly dead at that point? Many, you know? many, many times. Yes. And, and I can tell you endless numbers of stories. <laughs> but, but Richard McPhail is dead. <laughs> right. And, you know, no one knows who I am, but what they know about me is that I'm dead. <laughs> right. And it, and it was almost partly one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Is right. To, just to pl- yes. Prove to everybody around. that so far yes. I'm not Knock dead. On wood, touch, touch wood. wood. Yes. So that was funny. Yeah. So then, when you left, you kind of went off. What What did you do after you left Genesis in April '73? Well, I turned into a bit of a spiritual seeker. All right. And it was the '70s. It That's was the, the '70s, do, and I did so. a lot of those courses, <laughs> yes. and a lot of which originated over here. Sure. And stuff, and I got into doing encounter groups, and mm. I lived in a squat. In a sort of commune, right, with eight of us and uh, and stuff, and then so I was happily sort of doing that. And the next thing that happened is that um, the band had a lighting guy called Les Ad. Okay, and um, he got busted. Okay, uh, about a week and a half before their biggest to date. American tour. What was it? Seventy four five. That would have been the Lamb tour at that. No, point? before or? that. Oh, it was the Selling England tour. Okay. It was the set where they had those things that we used to call spinnakers. Sure, okay. You know what I mean? Those yeah. sort of white sail yes. things. I've seen the musical box with that with those in some of the old pictures. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, suddenly, Les couldn't do the first, whatever, three weeks of the tour. Okay. So they were faced with the choice of either getting a lighting guy uh, who didn't know the music. Right. Or someone who knew the music that could learn to do lights. Sure. And that was me. So suddenly I'm on the plane <laughs> off we go. Yes. And we played all down, you know, New York, Philly, Boston, mm-hmm. Cleveland, like that. And um, the agent over mm-hmm. here was um, Mike. He's from William Morris. Um, and I'm forgetting his name. Having a bit of a senior moment. <laughs> but, but anyway, he, he had a, sort of a bit of an experimental idea put in a couple of shows in the south okay shreveport louisiana and laurel mississippi and we got as as deep south as you can get really seriously not sure that they would sell that well even now sure but back then (laughs) yeah no interest so we got as far as nashville okay and we had a week okay mike tony margaret and i Mm -hmm. rental car 
lots of money. Yeah. You know, and off we went yeah. down the Mississippi to New Orleans. Okay. Checked into the French Quarter. Right. Did all the jazz clubs. Okay. Blah, blah. Had yeah. a great... Then drove right around the Gulf of Mexico to Galveston, mm-hmm. up to Houston. And so we just had a road trip. And yeah. It was just a blast. And, and, and I was just so lucky. Yeah, that sure. That happened on my bit of the tour. Right. And then the next gig was at the, the famous club, the... Um, Unfortunately, it's 12 o'clock, isn't it? So there's a lot Ding of dings dong, yes. going on. Yes, so we'll wait for we this should, too. We should acknowledge that yes. <laughs> we can hear this. Yes. People who listen to this interview will be able to know that it's noontime right uh, now. Well, and, so. and hey, get this. It's noon on the 21st of June. That's right. So this it's... is the moment when the sun is directly above us. Yep. Happy actually, summer for everybody. Because we're north of the Tropic yeah, of Cancer. So. But, but somewhere it is. It's as so. close as it gets. Right. Um, so there's a, a great moment to record. So... So the next gig was the World Armadillo Headquarters in Austin, Texas. Okay. And uh, I didn't know they had armadillos in, in Texas until then. I thought they were a South American creature. But uh, anyway. Yeah. And Austin I saw them always... in Florida one time. I was shocked, actually. I had right. the same reaction. There you I go. was like, armadillos in Florida? Yes, but, yes, yes. Yeah. There you go. So we did that. And then across the West to California, okay. blah, blah, blah. We got to San Francisco and Les had done his court case and, yeah. and was whatever remanded okay. and came and out so i was then left in uh, in on the west coast okay with time and money and and had a whole huge adventure yeah and ended up That's fantastic making so. my way all the way up to canada and across and and blah blah and if 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 you want to know what happened, you can read about exactly. it in the book. <laughs> I thought it was telling you in the book that after Peter left Genesis, yeah. you road managed his first, well, at least his first couple tours. I, I, I actually road managed their first tour without Yes, it. okay. Trick of the tail. Okay. Because they were nervous about, they were, I think they wanted me there for yeah. a bit of comfort. A security blanket. Something. You know, that's, and, they had nothing to be nervous about. Of course. Trick of the Tail is one of their best albums. Yeah. You know, right up there. A lot of people cite it as their mm-hmm. favorite. But it's funny. Everybody's got their favorite. Of and course. You know, yeah. and everyone will endlessly argue yes. and issue death threats for of anyone course. who disagrees. Yes. God bless you all. I love you. Yeah. So, and then Peter quit. Mm-hmm. And um, he did his gap year, as I call yeah. it. You know, by then he had two daughters, two young daughters, Anna and Mel, and he was growing vegetables and doing a bit of spiritual seeking himself. Mm -hmm. And, but all the while, of course, you know, he's writing Salisbury Hill and here comes the flood, et cetera. And Julie goes off to Toronto to record Mm -hmm. with, um, with Bob Ezrin and um, amongst other people meets Tony Levin. Yeah. And, uh, and you know who then soon became a dear friend of mine and has been mm-hmm. ever since um, and I'm going to be going to Naples to see King Crimson ah, at the end of July they put on a good show do tell me yes. about it I've seen we've seen them several times <laughs> yes. because because Tony and now Jacko yes. Jack Check is, is a good friend and okay he, he's he uh, they invite me to their uh, their friends and family playthroughs, which yes. are amazing. Yes. So I just noticed that I'd been invited to a, a, a Genesis weekend near oh, okay. Perugia, and the following and the Thursday and the Friday of that week, they want me in Perugia on the Sunday. Okay. Is, is are the two Naples gigs? So I'll be I'll be um, going down. Very nice. Because um, I'm driving because I'm taking books and books are really heavy. Yes. And you can't just show up to the airport yeah. with a hundred books because no, they'll they'll crucify you. Yeah. So anyway, um, that I'm digressing. But um, Peter and I were chatting, and he was gearing up to go on the road with mm-hmm. that album. And uh, one thing led to another, and he said, "I'd I'd love to have you along." So, yeah. so as as he says in his introduction, I I, uh, I road managed him for the first couple of years. We had yeah. we had tremendous times. Um, the highlight of which is when we were arrested at gunpoint in Switzerland for being Bader Meinhof mm-hmm. terrorists. Apparently, fifteen people, the good burghers of 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 Saint Gallen in Switzerland, yeah. had phoned the police to say that these dodgy guys because this is all before the days of, of cell phones and, and right. internet computers so we had to stop at phone boxes if yeah. you, you know Peter needed to ring Gale and yeah. deal with stuff we were on our way from Munich to Besançon in France mm-hmm. and we did make the gig um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we we got there 
it just in time. And so that's always, from the road manager's point of view, the most important yes. thing. And just as show. an interesting side note, mm-hmm. Besançon is the last gig that Peter did with Genesis right. on the Lamb Tour sure. before he left. So that turns out to be something significant about that place yes. so, in many I, ways. I thought it was telling in the book that you kind of basically said you kind of had, you either had to be Peter's friend or you had to stop working for him. Or like you couldn't be his friend and work for him. And I think. I got to that point where yeah. that's how I felt. Yeah. He's, he, you know, he. He's he's not easy to work for. Sure. Um, he's he's very creative. He's very demanding. He's mm. always thinking of things, and it's kind of like, well, listen, I, this is a great idea. We we should do it. We need to, you know. So you're always doing this stuff. There's a guy called Ed Bicknell who who, mm-hmm. who um, managed Dire Straits. Okay. And um, Peter asked him to manage him later on. Sure. And he said, I'll only manage your music activities. He okay. said, I can't be involved in all the 101 all the other things. things right. you know, WOMAD. And mm. I mean, you know, the list is as long as it, yes. real world studios. Mm. And da, da, it just goes on and on. And he's always got a million yes. fingers in a million pies. And God bless him. But, but um, I, I felt like it, it, it was going to be tough to maintain my friendship. And he's a very, very important friend. Right. And so... I that I chose to yeah. be friends and 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 pleased to say we still are yeah. and, and and that's something that people at I mean you were in your late twenties at that point early thirties like sometimes, late twenties yeah sometimes it's not it's it's interesting that you were it's good that you were emotionally intelligent enough to realize at that age that yes if I continue with this we we might still be friends but it won't be the same well, that's you know, a that's, very good point that you make yeah because a lot of my what I call my spiritual seeking mm-hmm. was about developing a, a more emotional intelligence right because one thing that public school does not prepare you for mm-hmm. is you know being emotionally intelligent and right. you know it's a, it's one of the serious problems with 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 I'll just keep it to the UK in my country sure is that you know a lot of the people running the country yeah. are excuse my language, fucked up public school boys. We're sleepwalking our way to the, to the clifftop. That was a common theme with my discussion, talking to friends over there. Yes. That we both had our parallel yes. shitstorms we were dealing with yes. in some ways. Very so, well put. Yeah. So, but then, you know, your book kind of stops around the 1980 time period. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I quit the business. Yeah. It, after t- going on tour with Leonard Cohen, okay, right. Having had a few, well, I went, I did two tours with with Peter Hamill, mm-hmm. which were terrific, and but again, not full, not without incident. <laughs> and then uh, Bill Bruford, I did a tour yeah, with, yeah, sure. And uh, and and I had this time with Van Morrison. <laughs> yes, just it was read weird. the book for that. It's very entertaining. It was weird. Yeah. And and then after the Cohen tour, I mm-hmm. decided it was seventy nine. Okay. I decided to quit. Mm-hmm. And I had a whole nother career yes. as, as in, in the energy efficiency yeah. world. Right. The green, because, you know, I always say I'm a hippie. Yeah. You know, there's two things I care about. There's music and the environment. And that's what my working life has been about. Those are two good things to care about. And then for those of us who read liner notes, I remember seeing your name crop up on Digging in the Dirt. Yes. Uh, where you did backing vocals, if I, I remember correctly. With Peter Hamill. Yes. And Ayub. Yes. So how yep. did how did that? I mean, I know you're friends with Peter, but how did that happen? Well, he always knew that. Yeah, you know, we'd had talks about whether my singing could have gone further and da 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 and all of that. And um, you know, and that's that's again something something mm-hmm. I talk about in the book. But um, we were chewing the fat one evening, and and. Uh, He's, he invited me to, to come and do backing. I mean, he knew I could sing in tune because <laughs> right. he heard me. Yes. So, you know, and that was a, a really lovely thing yeah. to, to, uh, uh, to be invited to do. We actually did a bit of backing vocals on The Blood of Eden as well, but they, oh, okay. they ended up on the cutting room floor, as they say, in the, sure. in the film business. Yes. Um, and I also did sing backing vocals on Your Own Special Way, Steve's, uh, oh right! He um, revisited that. Yeah, the first revisited album. Okay. Yes. All right. So you know, we have we've all remained friends. Yes. And uh, you know, as I say, that, that four out of the five of them showed up to my book launch, which right. I was very grateful. And I'm for. sure if Phil had been in country, he probably he was in the been. country. Oh, was he? Oh, Actually, okay. I knew the best chance. I had the best chance of him being there. Okay. But the thing is, as Tony Smith said, 
he's not good what he can't do is stand around yeah and it was a standing around kind of event yeah you know and he he he, he had a big band meeting with, mm. with Tony Smith and Mike and, and uh, Tony Banks in the afternoon and about four o'clock I think he genuinely intended to come yeah and he just ran out of steam and yeah. Tony said you know you need to go and rest which is right. absolutely the right thing. Sure. But to have four out of the five is, yeah. is incredible. That's great also. So, Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. It's we really a great appreciate pleasure. It. I encourage everybody out there to go and buy this book. Because it's available on Amazon.com. Yes. And if you're not a fan of Jeff Bezos, you can get it from Barnes & Noble yes. for the same price. Yes. There is a Kindle version also available, okay. but not the Paperwhite, okay. which is something I need to look into because... People have complained about that. And the last thing I want to say, if I may, is sure, that I definitely. have recorded an audio version. Excellent. And that will be on Audible, hopefully by the end of July. Excellent. Okay. And, so. Uh, so, and I'm hoping <laughs> that I can... Peter, I've asked Peter to read his his form. Oh, okay. And it would be so cool to have it in his voice. It would be. That would but, be a nice little bonus there. But so. it may or may not, you know... He's he's a busy chap. Yes. He's got a lot so. on his plate. <clears throat> yes. So, you know, for the record, he hasn't said no and he hasn't said yes. Right. And he, he, and we'll see. Yes. But it's fine. So watch but, this space and we'll yeah, let you know about yeah. that. So by the end of July, the book will be available in, in, in every possible format. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so, and it's doing well for you? Like, it's, you? I have to say I'm very pleased. Okay. Yes. It's 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 the fans. Yes, certainly. it hasn't broken through into the wider world, sure. and it may never. But these yeah, kind of books don't. It's necessarily. a very focused audience that it's yes. for. Yes. So yeah. Well, fortunately for me, it's potentially quite a big audience. Yes, so, definitely. So. Um, so, given the success of them separately and together. Actually, before we go, I'll do a quick lightning round with you. Just quick answer. Favorite Genesis album? Oh. I know. I'm putting you on the spot okay, here. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to pop poop out and narrow it down to two. All right. Foxtrot and Selling England. Okay, I'll give you that. So yeah. Those are good I mean, ones. I can't really go on a desert island without Supper's Ready. Sure. But actually, I think Selling England, for me, yeah. is poss possibly the best Definitely. album they did. Favorite solo career of the... Members? Oh, Peter. Okay. All right. Very yeah. good. I mean, he's so. done such amazing stuff. Yes. So. Excellent. So, so favorite Peter Gabriel album? So. Okay. Simply because, it's, apart from Sledgehammer, Mercy Street, Don't Give Up, mm -hmm. and In Your Eyes. Yeah. I mean. Pfft. Yeah. <clears throat> but I do. I would add Red Rain to that list, but yes. That's, yes, you know, absolutely. That's, you know. Well, then you basically, it's the whole album. I know, it's, it? it's very easy. What a great album and yeah. how not surprising it was so successful. Yeah, definitely. So, well, Richard, thank you for this. We really appreciate it. It's been a it. real pleasure. Yes. And thank you for taking the time to come up from Jersey City and, yes. and to, to see us. And thank you to all your listeners. Yes. So, have a good day, everybody. Have a good day, everybody. <laughs> So that was our interview with Richard McPhail. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, comments from the tabletop. Well, I think as fans of Genesis and going back over the live live albums, uh, fans will know that he was one of the live album. I think was dedicated, uh, yes. and it said to Richard McPhail, who left in 1973. And I think, as a lot of fans probably thought at the time, oh, that means he died. So I'm glad you were able to ask him if that was true or not. So <laughs> <laughs> we cleared that up. We yeah. have. We yeah. have definitive proof. Yes. This is a tabletop exclusive. Roger McPhail <laughs> did not die in 1973. Yeah. <laughs> the old uh, Chevy Chase joke, uh, Francisco Franco is still dead. Does anybody remember that besides me? Yes. All right, good. So, so yeah, I thought, I thought it was really interesting because he was able to share a lot just as, you know, I... Just as a regular guy who is friends with these rock stars, and but the thing is, is they're they're also regular guys. Yes, that's the thing. I'm it's like, the, yeah. God, they're so nor like regular. Yeah. But you know, 
Yeah. I think I think the thing that I that I take away from this, and uh, we discussed it a little bit earlier, which is these are ordinary people leading yes. extraordinary yes. lives. That's probably the best way of looking at it. So, because it's it's interesting because it's we as fans, it's easy to put musicians or writers or actors, you know, whatever it might be, kind of on those pedestals of oh, this person is a creative person. So they are special, and they are special in some ways, but it's also, they are regular people. They have talent, but it's... it's They'll trip just... over the rug just like anybody exactly. else. Exactly. So, and, you know, they want to laugh at jokes, and they want to have friends, and they, they have real lives that they talk about. And so, and, and Richard has his kind of life where these he's been in that world. It's a unique perspective, really. Yeah. Um, I mean... Specifically, uh, that was hammered home to me when he was talking about being backstage with the members of Queen. Right. And they were talking about, uh, for a while, I think... And this is something I didn't know until I mm-hmm. heard the interview, was, was the fact that the Roger Taylor was, was in the running, possibly, mm-hmm. for a, for the Genesis gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just that whole business of him sort of like chatting with... Um, I was about to say James May, but it <laughs> is... <laughs> Different May. Different May. His brother Brian. Yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the whole idea, he was chatting with Brian uh, about sort of like those days. They were not big, you know, right. huge worldwide stars at this point, just chatting about being in bands. And then all of a sudden you're having this conversation backstage when you're about to go on stage at a huge stadium. Yeah. And again, that harkens back to the idea that these are, you know, just regular folks who went down, who slipped between the cracks and went somewhere special. Yeah. So, yeah, they're regular people, but they're also intensely driven and yes. very creative people and um, might be speaking from experience. But, you know, being around creative per person or persons mm-hmm. for extended amounts of time um, does require... Um, some skills and so Richard and medication and medication and Richard so I applaud you for for dealing yes. with five of them yes at one time in the amount of time you did right <laughs> when there was a lot of hot-headedness exactly. back in the exactly. day so. but also given that when you think about some of the egos that some bands have yeah like this is our record our pictures go on it that's it mm-hmm they had Richard's name on it. They had Richard's picture on it. Yeah. All the like the photos you see of old school in seventy one mm-hmm. and seventy two. There's you think there were six members in the group, right? Because Richard's their buddy. Why would they kick him out of a photo just because yeah. you know it's the band right. and he was just as much an integral part of probably their success in the early days right. of keeping them on track, driving them around, mm-hmm. giving them a cottage to write. Somebody has okay. to do that, yeah. you know. That's exactly. every I mean, band. <laughs> yeah, every band. I mean, I had a band in high school that's to remain nameless at this point. But part of it was that there was not Black an out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> part of it was that, you know, we never, we played at like our high school student arts festival and things like that, but we never did anything else because we didn't have that person to kind of, organize it yeah. for us you know that's right, that's right. those of us who were the musicians were just kind of you know doing our own thing mm-hmm. and if one person in the band might have taken that lead then it might have been oh that's you know there's almost too much there right. power in one person and you're 18 so that matters at that point Absolutely. but the other side of it is that i think we've touched on this in previous episodes that genesis do have a, a reputation for being very good to their support yes. staff mm-hmm. and uh, their crew and all the people that sort of like help you yeah i you know i've, I've heard uh, many tales from people that have been involved with mm-hmm. with the organization who have nothing but nice things to say yeah. about how they were treated definitely so yeah it's, it's a nice group of people and and they are you know I'll, I'll say treated fairly, I would say. You know, that's, I think, the best. And within the record industry, that's not always the norm. So it's kudos to Genesis for doing it. I thought it was really touching when, when Richard told the story about hearing about the credit on Foxtrot that he was given, mm-hmm. where he said, like Phil said, oh, we had a meeting. I think you'll be interested in, in mm-hmm. something that's going on. And, and that it's... And it was fun that it was Phil was the one who told or alluded to it, but didn't come out right out and say it because, again, drummers are kind of that person who are the you know the lukewarm water in the band, making sure that everybody's together and everything. So there's your Spinal Tap reference, Tom. <laughs> um, but it's it was really nice to hear that. And again, those are the type of stories that it's like oh, I'd never really heard how that happened. You know, so it's 
It's very cool, and Richard was very giving of his time. And it's kind of like those ripple effects where, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan, there's an earthquake halfway across the world. And we just have to thank Richard for failing his O-levels. Yes. Because <laughs> him and River's job, if, if I think he, that was the yeah. other one he mentioned, they failed, they both failed and had to leave Charterhouse. Yeah. If they had continued, perhaps Anon would continue. Sure. And perhaps there wouldn't have been the collaboration between Garden Wall. Right. And none of us would be here today. Yeah. Or we'd be talking about Anon. Tabletop Anon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our alternate universe selves would be talking about Who this. are still selling out stadiums. Anon's a book. Yes. Invisible Anon would be yeah. the album. Or, you know. But yeah, I think they're like... Richard is seems like a very content guy. He's had a very fulfilling life in a lot of different ways and has been able to, you know, keep his kind of foot in the rock world and tell about his stories in that world, but also have a very fulfilling career in kind of the environment and kind of working with things that are very passionate for him. And he also sang back up on Digging in the Dirt. So that was kind of, you know, one of those things where he still, you know, he told the story of how that happened. And it was just like, yeah, Peter and I were talking. And so he said, do you want to sing on it? Oh, okay. You know, that's that's nice that that can happen in your life at a certain it's stage. It's nice you still have friends yeah. for that long in your life, you know. Yeah. I think, you know, as you get older, that, that number goes down. Yeah. Good mates are important and yep. hard to find. Yeah. Exactly. Just like good bands. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was great that... Uh, I mean, these good friends that he's had, I, I think it really says a lot about the guys that four of them made it to his book signing yes. In uh, when he was coming out with yeah. this book. So you, you had Tony, Steve, Peter, and Mike there. Right. I mean, Phil just couldn't do it because he wasn't available and probably wasn't feeling that well, well that right. day. But for these four huge stars right. to come back and support this guy who had been yeah. with them so long ago it really says a lot about them yeah and he was i think richard was saying he wanted to get that picture of him with them you know and the book there and yeah it was it's it's still kind of you know neat for him like i could tell that he's kind of tickled when things like that happen that that they still make time for him you know, and that they are friends, you know, and, and uh, I, I was able to chat with Steve Hackett when I was over in London, and he was very effusive about Richard also, you know, they're uh, all... I was going to say, this is the one thing that comes across in the in the, uh, in, in the interview, is that sense of friendship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, that's, a, that's a, a, a paramount thing, and it's one of the things which I personally think of as, as allowed that band uh, to flourish after the facts yes. as well you know they're still quite a tight knit bunch of people mm-hmm. you know even though they might necessarily be separated by distance right. and uh, and, and uh, business obligations you know they, they'll, every now and again they'll come back and this is the stuff that we don't see as right. fans yeah it's it's people who just ring each other up and say hey can you go out for a curry you know it's it's those type of things oh man i could, oh, I could yeah. murder yeah. a curry right we now we have talked about going out for food after doing this recording so um, now i want a curry yeah <laughs> see well we'll figure this out but but yeah, so I and I will also say that you know, as as Richard talked about that friendship and everything, I think it is about also again we're here at the tabletop of this friendship as this band has brought together these friends around the table. I know I would make Tom sob with this, but it is it is something that I think you see this with maybe whatever band people are fans of you find people within that community that you're friends with, mm-hmm. but it is something that I think happens a little more with Genesis people. We're always the underdog, Of course, right? yeah. It brings you together in different ways. So We know what it's like not being cool. Yes. Not being the hip thing all the time. Right. When all you the... tell somebody you're a Phil Collins fan, mm. yeah. <laughs> that, that said, yes. there's the opposite end of that, which is the, those fans that, the, that drink the Kool-Aid and nothing can be criticized right. and stuff. Right. I'm, not, I'm not in that camp. I'm of course, sorry. yeah. And I think, I think all of us on, on this show are... are like you with that but that you know we are willing to criticize well, you, well, and rugged and critique. handsome well that's exactly so and english yeah. so but yeah so i think that's you know kudos to richard he has his own internet radio show called radio rich pickings uh and so you should seek that out he is on twitter so you can find him on twitter also um i should probably have that name for you all but i don't 
We'll post, we'll post it on the website, and it'll be on the, on the description for the episode. So find him. I think if you Google Richard McPhail, you will find him fairly easily. And also, so. check out his book if you yes, haven't had a chance definitely. to. So he's, uh, he's a good writer, and I think that... And I, he wrote it with somebody also, uh, Chris Charlesworth, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't have the book right in front of me. But it's, it's a good read, and it was... It, it's kind of looking at Genesis history, which, again, if you're buying this book, you probably know the broad strokes of it. But it's from an inside-outside perspective. An inside perspective because he was there for a lot of this, and outside because he wasn't one of the musicians, but he was there for a lot of this. So, you know, if anything, maybe it's a little bit kind of unbiased in that respect. It's a unique perspective yes, he's bringing to exactly. it. exactly. His own. So I think that... You know, again, you you get five people together and you get five different stories of how things went down. And with Richards, you get that sixth perspective. Right, he was kind of like the fly on the windshield. Oh, oh yes. Kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I'm Michael Lord. I'm Simon. Stacy. And Tom. And we're happy to have brought you this special interview episode of Tabletop Genesis. Thank you for listening and come back often. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com along with updates, polls and various other podcast related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have new shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast, or send us questions we can address on future episodes. Just a lawnmower. You can tell me by the way I walk.